Um, and so what I discovered about prayer is that prayer is absolutely about relationship. Absolutely. But it's, it's more than that. It's about partnership. That literally God does not want us to, or he doesn't want us as much. He really doesn't want us doing things for him. He wants us doing things with him. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dance of Life podcast. My name is Tudor Alexander, and I'm your host today. I have a special guest for you today. His name is Don Newman. Don has more than 20 years of experience in ministry and leading prayer, and is also the acting executive director of publishing for Salem Author Services, which is a division of Salem Media Group. As a passionate historian of the church and revival, Don has benefited from the writings and stories of many great intercessors of the church, including some of his own ancestors. Don and his wife, Tracy, live in Central Florida. He's the author of three books. The first one is Respond Up, Turn Any Obstacle into Greatness. The second is Don't Just Speak It, Write It, How Every Pastor Can Become a Published Author. And the third, most recent book is Praying for Rain, Never Underestimate the Power and Impact of Your Prayers. I'm super excited to have Don on the show. We're going to be talking about the power of prayer. We'll be talking about his own life journey in ministry and how he got to the point where he got to by being a state trooper, believe it or not. So I'm very excited to share his story. He's got some great insight to share on prayer. So let's get going. Hey, well, thanks for coming on the show, Don. It's a really pleasure to meet you. Put a name to a face. <laughs> Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be on the show today and to talk with you and uh, answer some questions and talk about what God's doing. I'm excited. Absolutely, man. You know, prayer I, I love what you're doing. Prayer is such an important thing. I think that prayer, especially in this day and age where we are so on the rat wheel of life, yeah. right? Prayer is just like so fundamentally important. It's always been important, but I think in this day and age, we tend to get really distracted. And so I'm very excited to have you on the show, especially all the things that you have done, all the books have you written. I'm really curious, how did it all begin for you? I mean, how did you, how did you come to Christ, number one, I guess? And then the second kind of follow-up question to that is how, what, what motivated you down this path of writing books? And, you know, you're, you're in your executive in a publishing company. So you're doing a lot in that field of getting the word out. Sure. How did that start for you? Well, I grew up in a Christian home um, and the home I grew up in um, my mom and dad, my dad's passed on recently, but my mom is still alive. Great parents uh, took us to church Um uh, you know, I grew up as a Southern Baptist, uh, just talking the other day about um, my parents coming and talking to me. My dad, did you do your Sunday school lesson? You know, <laughs> some of the things that go back. Parents will be parents, right? Yes. <clears throat> but early on, my, you know, my I'm so thankful for my upbringing. They did everything right. But, um, you know, for me, uh, pretty much the decision that I'm a Christian was more based on, I don't want to go to hell mm. uh, than to know Christ personally. I mean, I believed in Christ. He, man, he, he is the savior of the world. He's the King, all those things. But I pretty much lived my life with a healthy respect of God, a reverence, I guess you'd say, but really no um, deepening relationship. I mean, I believe there was no doubt. I believed but if somebody would have said to me, how much do you pray? I would have had to think about the times when I needed to pray. And, you know, one of the chapters in my book is called Monsters and Girlfriends, 
where prayer begins, but it doesn't end. And that's what prayer was for me mm. as a Christian. It was, man, I'm afraid I got something bad. I'm going to die. Or man, I really want this to happen in my life. And that's the occasional, what I call stuffing the ballot box type of praying uh, or the suggestion box. And so um, that went on until I turned 18. And when I turned 18, um, I was going into college. I took the summer off before I went, started college. And my best friend and I, we were just, I mean, we were, we were going to the college clubs and at night and uh, working out with weights and just we're out of high school. Now we're kind of living our life. And I never forget there was one night where we were going to go to a place that night. But my best friend said to me, said, man, I, I tell you what, I don't, I don't know if I even want to go. It just seems meaningless. And this is not anything we ever said, but I actually felt kind of the same way. So we ended up sitting around a campfire at my house because I lived in the country and just talking about God. Now, his grandfather was a pastor. And so um, he had a new youth pastor coming in to intern that summer. So we got to know the youth pastor because he wanted to come work out with us and lift weights. And, you know, um, Tudor, I, I never forget, I was lifting weights and he was spotting me. And I don't know how the conversation began, but I stopped. And I said, you know what I really, really want? I want everything God's got. I want everything. And it went from the faith that I was raised in to now full surrender. I like to say I signed the lease. Mm. I just went all in. Was I perfect? No, not for, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we're always developing. But, man, I really, really made that decision. Well, the shift that happened in my life not only happened in my spiritual life, happened in my personal life. I met my wife that same year who now we've been married almost 40 years. Wow, congratulations. Became, thank you. She became almost a mentor to me, especially in the area of hearing God's voice. Hmm. And so we were involved in campus ministry. We were part of a, I mean, the youth group we were a part of was like 500 kids in the youth group. It was like a college age to wow. high school. And <clears throat> evangelism. So we got married and, uh, just the relationship of God and the journey of God. And that's when I felt called in the ministry a couple of years after that. But the Lord, you know, this is part of my message as I try to tell people that, you know, God may want to take you a different route, but trust God because that route will end where you're supposed to be. That bridge will end where you're supposed to be. And so for me, it wasn't go to Bible college like everybody else was doing. I became a state trooper. And uh, my wife and I moved to Central Florida, and the 15 years that I was a state trooper was the best teaching and development of ministry and dealing with the people that I could have ever got. And there's my first book, Respond Up, has all kinds of stories from that adventure. But all of this experience, being around people, being in real life, but also being involved in church the whole time we were doing college ministry— but it was bivocational. I mean, you know, I was like leading a home group or leading this group, but being a state trooper. And that eventually led to where God then pulled me into full-time ministry. And uh, I was part of a church for years, went and helped plan another church. Then my wife and I planted our own church, which we led for seven years. That 
eventually led to me needing a job to gain support while planting a church and uh, making tents. And I love books. And my wife worked at the publishing company, Zulon Press. So I said, man, I'd love to do that. So my goal was work there for a couple of years while planting the church. And eventually I'll be full-time in the church. But and for now, this is a good way to do this. Well, I thought it was only going to be a couple of years. And now 15 years later, this is now my ministry. And so what happened was it's the journey that God took me on that developed me and trained me and put me places that I would have never, ever, ever guessed, but it's trusting him, trusting his voice. Yeah, I really wanted to get on staff at a church, and God said, no, we're going to be a good, you're just going to go be a good trooper. Well, that seemed the opposite. And then you're going to work at this publishing company. Yeah, but I'm planting the church. Yes, and that church will continue. It, it did continue in the sense it morphed back into the mother church, but it was like a bridge to bring me here. And then once I got here, all of those experiences, all of the mentoring, all of the ongoing experiences that are even going on now, I said, I've always wanted to write a book. Well, what better place to be than be an executive director of publishing to actually do that? Mm -hmm. So my books come out of an ongoing experience of learning, you know, learning, respond up. The premise of that book is the way we move forward has more to do with how we respond to life than what we choose to do. Mm -hmm. Me responding at the right places and trusting God and God would move me forward. I, I used to say that I get washed off the island like anyone else, but if I hang on to the Lord, I always wash up on a better island, it seems. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so that journey, I wanted to help people because I see people that feel like they've missed it. They feel like I've missed it. I've wasted time. And now I'm 30. Now I'm 40. No, you haven't missed it. Just link with God and you will find that he will lead you exactly where you are, even if it's a back door that brings you into where you're supposed to be. So all of those messages, plus the ongoing deepening year after year after year of prayer made me realize I was driving to work one day, um, would have been eight years ago, and the Lord said, I want you to write a book on prayer. And I'm thinking, Lord, there's already so many great books on prayer. I know because I read them. I love it. Mm. And like, no, I want you to write what you've learned. And uh, so it became, as I say to many people that feel called to write, it's not so much what you're hoping for. It's more about obedience. Hmm. And if he called you to write it, you just got to obey. And uh, and that's what I did. And so all of my experience has led to where now my writing is coming out of, you know, ongoing things that I'm learning and, you know, and sharing. And uh, prayer is probably one of the top things I'm passionate about. That's awesome, man. I can relate to so much that you're saying. I was actually just having some of these exact thoughts literally yesterday. I uh, <laughs> random story, but it's going to tie in. I was I went out salsa dancing. I hadn't gone out salsa dancing in a long time. My background, I'm I'm a, a professional dancer and compete. I used to compete and stuff. And so anyway, cool. I, I haven't been out dancing in a long time. And I went there and I I ran into friends that I knew from like 20 years ago, <laughs> and we had a good time. And it was just it was just a lot of fun and. As I was driving back, you know, I realized that even in the days when I wasn't aware of God, and I mean, I always believed in God in a sense, but I never really was, you know, like like you said, it was kind of at a distance, you know, was, you weren't really connecting to him. And even then, I look back at my life, 
And all the things that I went through and experienced through my career, which seems like it has nothing to do with, you know, faith or anything like that, I realized all those things were actually the perfect training ground for so many things that I understand now or that I've yeah. experienced now or that I do now. It's it's really quite fascinating. It really is. And I'm like, wow, God really can use everything for the good. It's just absolutely fascinating. How he oh, does. he absolutely can. I mean, you know, you think of Joseph. Well, Joseph, yeah, right. That's a classic example. Have come up into, you know, the rulership, the prime minister of Egypt. Yeah. Without understanding the customs, the language, and all the things that he learned. It was a very tough learning experience. But it's like if you go back and you look at Abraham Lincoln's history of, of his experience as a politician and a businessman, mm. I mean, it's like failure, failure, failure. You oh, got yeah. a failure, failure. But that actually was preparing him to lead the nation in the most difficult days that you had to be somebody that could overcome failure. Yeah. Again, trusting God's, you know, the Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of my favorite verses, you know, the thoughts and plans I think toward you are for our future and I hope not to harm you. Yeah. They're to help you and to prepare you. And so, but you, you know, as a young man and, you know, for me, I was like, man, I'm ready to go in the ministry. I'm ready to go on staff here. And it, I went through that disappointment and, you know, and, and, and I'd love to say, oh, I just submitted right away. No, I didn't. I fought it. And but as I looked back, I started to realize, you know what? He's got a better way. And if I'll trust him, he'll get me there. You know, so you're you're exactly right. And it's interesting, too, because I think, I mean, in the end, you know, you look at all the Bible characters like Moses or even some of the prophets, they all I mean, Moses is famous for telling God to go find somebody else, you know, like five times. right? And so so God will still accomplish his purpose in our lives, which is also reassuring that even despite our, you know, resistance and, and fighting, we will still, he will still accomplish his purpose. And in a perfect way, it's really quite fascinating how that happens. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it gives calls to not worry so much about missing it. Yeah. You know, which everybody does. And to understand that, that God will get you there and prepare and, and everything, you know, everything prepares us. Amen. Well, what is your feeling on prayer? What is prayer to you? You've written quite a bit on prayer. We can talk about, you know, some of your books, but I'd like to get an idea of what you feel is prayer to you today. What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many theological descriptions I could give, and I won't get into that because people can get lost in that. I want to give a very practical applic picture and then I'll highlight some stuff. And the picture that best explains what I see prayer as is understanding the prayer journey that I went through. Um, there's not one part of what I'm about to share that's bad. It's where people begin. It's where I began. And the illustration I use, I mentioned it earlier, is the suggestion box or the ballot box. Hmm. And um, for me, early on, prayer was if you've ever heard, I'll throw up a prayer, I'll, I'll, I'll make a prayer, I'll, I'll, I'll pray. That is where most people begin. And that's where I began. And, you know, the picture I use is like a ballot box. You know, if you went somewhere and there was a ballot box, suggestion box, or even one of those boxes where they're going to give a cruise away, you're just filling it out, you're putting it in, or if it's a suggestion box at work or somewhere, you're filling it out and putting it in you don't necessarily know who you're talking to. You're not addressing it. Hey, Jim, this is what I would like. You're just stuffing them in there. 
And for me, prayer was like me stuffing things in there, hoping to see a result later. God, please help me out with this with school. I'm hoping something's going to change. God, you know, heal my mother. I'm definitely hoping something's going to change. But you can go through all the things of life to where prayer was this whole one-sided uh, bringing a, a a desire, or you know, and it can be for a very good thing. God, you know, uh, be with our country during this economic crisis. But what God wants to do is he wants to move the suggestion or the ballot box to the mailbox. And the mailbox is where if you go and you put something in your mailbox and you put that flag up there, you know, if you're sending out a letter, if you're ordering something, if you're doing something, you're expecting something back. You're expecting a return. You're expecting that there's going to be something. You're not just waiting for whatever happens, you're you're actually expecting something. And if you use this, you know, I'm kind of dating myself, you know, you think about the old mailboxes with the flags, well, just move it to the, move it to instant messenger or move it to, uh, you know, any kind of communication. There's so many new communications. Somebody the other day said, do you use Slack? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm like, I'm so, I just learned what TikTok was a while back. So now I'm like, uh, okay, what's new? Well, you're doing something with the expectation of communication. And so I didn't know that side of prayer until I started to realize, no, God wants to communicate with me when I pray. And this is where now I move from prayer to the next level. And I like to use the uh, mailbox again, but this time it's the mailbox. If you live in a neighborhood and there's one central place where you go like and you an apartment your- complex yeah well sometimes you open that up and guess what's inside not just return mail or something being sent to you there's other keys to other boxes mm. and you open up that box and now all of a sudden you're realizing something is being sent to me maybe i didn't expect this somebody's sending this and it begins to be not just me stuffing the ballot box with nothing ever being heard. Now it's me hearing, but now I'm getting stuff I wasn't even expecting. So that's why I say prayer is more about God getting our attention than us getting his. Hmm. We think that we're waiting on God, but many times God is waiting on us. I mean, you can look at the verse of scripture in Ezekiel where it says, I looked for a man to stand in a gap. And so what is it that God is wanting to do on earth you know, and this is where a lot of people get locked up. God is 100% non-debatable, sovereign, but what they don't realize is that when he created the earth, he made a law in this earth of giving us authority and control. And basically, that's why we're in the mess that we're in, and obviously sin has run, but God intervened. But he intervenes through man, and he intervenes when he came as a man. And so what is he doing? He's looking for a man or woman that will hear what he's wanting to do so that he can affect earth and impact earth. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples, if you're going to pray, pray in this way, our Mm -hmm. Father in heaven, but then it gets thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Um, And so what I discovered about prayer is that prayer is absolutely about relationship. Absolutely. But it's, it's more than that. It's about partnership that literally God does not want us to, or he doesn't want us as much. He really doesn't want us doing things for him. He wants us doing things with him. Mm. So all of a sudden my prayer life 
becomes this whole new extension of God's kingdom in my life. And I now walk out of just a normal prayer life, which prayer mostly is about me, petitions can be supplications, but what he wants to move me into is intercession. And he wants to move me into the place that literally I'm, I'm interceding for things that maybe I haven't even thought of. I mean, I'm interceding for things I've seen, but maybe there are things that, that he puts on my heart that I am now interceding because I'm that voice on earth that as one great uh, theologian of prayer said, prayer is really earthly permission for heavenly intervention. And God seeks out a person that's on earth that he can partner with. And when he finds that person that he can work with, then he can move them in ways to make intercession and prayer that he can move his kingdom on earth in different ways, relationships, uh, all kinds of things. And so prayer begins as a single conversation. Then it begins as a dialogue and then it goes to a partnership. Mm -hmm. That's really cool, man. It's so funny. I, I can totally relate to everything you're saying because a lot of the things that I've focused in my own journey and the things that I talk about is partnership, especially from my background. You know, I, I had a physical way that I experienced partnership and leading and following. And the whole, the whole, like I said earlier, I mean, this whole journey was like, wow, it finally clicked when I came close to God. And it's like, oh, that's why I was, well, doing, that's why I was doing all these dance competitions and all these things that seemingly yeah. are completely vain. I mean, with rhinestones and glitter and all kinds of stuff, but you know, then you realize, oh, I was supposed to learn about following and and leading and all these wow. things that are so important in our life and our prayer life and our relationship with God, and especially I call it the dance of life. But you said something that was very, very important. I want to touch on again, which is God doesn't want us to do things for him because he doesn't need anything, right? I mean, God needs nothing. So he really just wants us to do things with him. And I think that's a very important reality that most people don't realize, and even myself included, you know, it's so easy to drift into, um, I, you know, I, like I believe in grace. I'm obviously, I'm all about grace, but it's, you know, yeah. in, pra in practice, <clears throat> I think that we tend to drift into this idea that I need, I need to glorify God today. I need to, I need to do this because, you know, he needs to be glorified and, you know, all these things in our ministries or whatever, you know, in your own life, what you're doing, you we tend to drift into a performance-based relationship. Even though yes. we believe in grace, we cognitively we we know the truth. I think that in practice, the human mind just tends to drift that way. And if you don't correct yourself regularly, I think this is part of prayer, and I think you might agree, is that mm -hmm. if we don't if we don't correct that course regularly and remember that God doesn't want us to do things for him, but rather with him it's yeah. easy to drift into, you know, other things. And so I don't know what your thoughts on that might be. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, a, a really good example of this. Well, let me say this first and I'll give you my example. You know, uh, you know, the Lord speaks about holiness. There's absolutely, we should be holy as he's holy, but here's, here's, here's the big thing that I feel like we need to focus more on identity revelation than behavior modification. You know, if all of my walk with Christ is me just trying to change my behavior, okay, the enemy, I mean, from the very first stepping into the garden is trying to always steal identity. I mean, you think about it. He he did a number on Eve by telling her, um, 
No, if you eat the fruit, then you'll be like God. Well, if she would have had a moment to just yell out to God and said, please come explain to me, God would say, well, you're already like me. You're in my image and likeness. He's mm -hmm. telling you that if you eat the fruit, you'd be like me to cause doubt of who you are. And so the enemy as a Christian, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us and, you know, comes and, and brings stuff up. That's his, that's his job. And we repent and we grow and we repent and grow. But the enemy wants to come and say, no, you're not like that. I used this illustration just the other day. I said, it's like this. When you become a Christian, you're not just a sinner that has a new destination in eternity. Mm. You have changed now. And you are a joint heir. Well, what about the days I really blow it? Well, on that moment or that day or that second, you weren't acting as your true identity. But what the enemy likes to do is he likes to say, aha, the gig's up. Now the truth comes out. You faked it pretty well for a while there, but now you've done this. Hmm. But why? Because then we we will live as a, a lost soul again that's going to make it to heaven, hopefully one day. Uh, but my, my, my best example I like to talk about is the prodigal son. No, oh, I love that parable. Okay. If you follow the story of the prodigal son, you will see that the prodigal son, you know, he makes a decision. I want to go into the world. I want everything. And father gives it to him. And that is a great illustration. Somebody, you know, one time asked me why I tithe and I got all kinds of reasons. And I said, but one reason is the story of the prodigal son. They said, well, what's that teach? It teaches that I can have all the money that's available, but it doesn't work very well if it's not connected to the Father. As soon as I he got it and went into the world, it didn't multiply, it didn't go for good. He ended up broke. Okay, and so the Father knows that all of this life is a partnership with him. That's what he wants. He wants family. It's kingdom. Mm. So the, the, the prodigal son goes out. It comes to his senses. He finally gets it. And he comes back and immediately he's like, man, no, I got to go live in the pigsty. I got to do this. And the father's like, no, you don't. And he kills a fatted calf. He puts a robe on him. You know, he cleans him up and he puts that ring back on his finger. And the ring always symbolizes authority. Mm. And he didn't lose that. He didn't lose who he was in essence. He just was not living that life like what I shared a minute ago. But notice the elder brother. The elder brother comes and is very jealous and upset about this. And what does he say? He says, I have always done everything you've asked me to do. I've done this. I've done this. I've done. And it was a list of to do's. And the father said, you could have had your friends anytime. What my, what is mine is yours. So that's, that powerfully shows that we don't want to get into a relationship that it's about performance. It's about relationship. Now mm -hmm. imagine if the elder brother early on had gone to the father and said, dad, I see that you're really upset about the younger brother leaving every day. You're looking from the porch, your heart. What, what can I do to help you? Do you want me to ride and see if I can find him? What do you want me to do? If he'd have participated in that burden of his father's heart, guess what? He'd have been in on the celebration. Mm. He'd have been one of the first people that was hugging the brother and, you know, and throwing the stuff around. And so it's a great illustration that if we are not living in that relationship, we will walk in performance. And that's where the elder brother was walking. Uh, one of the earliest illustrations that paints this picture of partnership, that's the, that's the thing. You know, God 
God is inviting us into this partnership. One of the earliest pictures is in the Garden of Eden uh, in creation uh, when God creates the animals. Now, notice what he does. I love this because this is people say it's not prayer. For me, it's prayer because prayer is partnership. God creates the animals, but what does he do next? Adam, you name them. Mm, Yeah. You can't make them, but I want you to do something. I want to do something with you. Yeah. I don't want to just make it all for you and then you perform. I want you to be involved in my work with me. You know, think of a father, you know, that really wants his children to be close with him and have relationship with him. He's going to do things that it requires their involvement. That is why God has put so many things that are dependent upon us to do our things. Because if it wasn't, we'd just be robots. We'd just yeah. be, you know, and he didn't want to create that. It's, you know, it's such a profound point, really, that there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it, it goes something like, God chose us to do things poorly and slowly that where he could do them perfectly and immediately, something like this. And and it's so true because you look throughout the Bible and God didn't, it's like, it's really a testament to his patience and his mercy that at the end of the day, he could have just created reality here I am on a throne, lightning and thunderbolts and obey. Okay. And he would be just in it. Would there be nothing unjust about that? But instead he chose to go through history. Yes. Well, knowing that he would die on a cross all these thousands of years before. And then afterward, you know, being patient with everything to be happening slowly, according to man's timing. It's just really, it's a profound thing that he chose to involve us, you know, like Moses. I mean, he chose to, to have somebody who's imperfect and flawed, and yet he chose to have him do leadership things. And okay, obviously God, you know, parted the Red Sea. We know that. But he told Moses to raise his hand and be part of that experience. And that to me is just really a testament to to his mercy. If you'll notice throughout Scripture that, you know, the Lord fights our battles for us. But even when, um, I believe it was Jehoshaphat, you know, they said, stand and see, he still had them come out and stand out front. There is always a participation. And, you know, one of the questions someone asked me one time and they said, well, I don't get this. Why did, why did God, why did God put a tree in the garden knowing we were going to do this? He should have just eliminated that. And I said, first off, I don't know everything God knows. His ways are not my ways. And there are some things that I just take by faith. But I believe that the reason the choice was there, because they were like, why did he give us a choice? He should have not given us a choice and just made it. And I said, I believe part of the reason, and I can't say for sure, but I believe this, is that uh, love cannot be love without a choice. Yeah, it's got to be authentic. It has to be authentic. It'd be like if my wife said, I want to marry you, but I was the only man on earth. (laughs) You know, I could be like, I'm glad you're marrying me, but it's my duty. Are you you choosing me? And so Dean Edwards wrote a great book called Divine Romance. And in that book, he talks about God was, I mean, the end goal of the church and we are grafted into Israel. All of that will make sense in the end is a kingdom and a bride for Christ. Yeah. So here he is with this desire to see us become this 
kingdom of not just, you know, uh, you know, I truly believe that it's not just like we're adopted and we're not like him. No, we're grafted in. His DNA is now in us. Um, you know, many of the, um, you know, in, in Judaism or Hebrew thought, however you want to put it, the word adoption doesn't mean adopting a child that's been neglected. It actually means a son becoming an heir, becoming the age that they can run the family business. Mm. So if if we are really being transformed, and that's what the Bible says, and he's putting his DNA within us, and yes, we are still in a fallen state, and yes, we're being sanctified, but in the end, his master wisdom and plan is to have you know, free will decision, choosing him and going through the process to become this great and glorious church and bride. And, and I only know that tutor. I only know a speck of the other mysteries that will blow my mind if I start to think about them, but that's enough for me to know he knows what he's doing. And I, I totally agree with what CS Lewis says. I'm familiar with that, but I can't quote it either. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a real profound thought. I mean, basically we, are living in this kind of dance. I, I mean, I like to call it a dance because that's what I relate to, but I think it's such an appropriate thing because in a dance, it's very, um, it's very free flowing. You know, the, the, the line between, you know, even like you look at the incarnation, it's like, okay, he was fully God and fully man. Where's the line between that? And the, maybe there is no line. It's such a mystery for us to try to understand. And I it's think true. that in looking at that, we understand also our own lives because we're made in the image of God in the sense that we are uh, in this dance between, yes, God is completely sovereign over all things. There's not a sparrow that falls that God doesn't know about. But at the same time, there's this mystery of despite God's sovereignty, we still experience life through choices. He still gives us things to do. You know, it's like sometimes you pray for um, I don't know, whatever. Give me some money, God, or whatever. <laughs> I, need yeah. some, I need some help. And instead of just sending you a check, he, you know, he gives you an opportunity. He gives you a person, a relationship that you need to, you know, help. And then they, and then they give you some money that you need for your groceries or whatever. You know, I mean, ultimately, he gives you things to do. We have to do things, and we are are here to do things and to choose and to work our way through life. So it's it's a real fascinating dance to me. It's a really fascinating dance to be, and I think that that dance is prayer because yes. it's really the communication between us and God and, and that, that teamwork that you're talking about. Yep. So. I'll tell you one scripture, and I don't have the address in front of me, and I could usually say Matthew uh, 19 or 16, wherever it's at, but you'll you'll remember the story. And this is really, I mean, I've been so many things that have really Okay, I get it, God. This was probably the biggest. Jesus is taking his disciples, and this is after a long time of ministering to people, and they're up, and he's looking, and there's all these people. And he's saying, look at all these people. They're like lost sheep without a shepherd. Mm. He He's really moved by this, and you can look at the original language. I mean, he's really moved. And he says to them, he says, you know, some verses, some versions say, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Some say beg, you know, the and, and the intention is like almost like a beg. But he says, uh-huh. pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field because these people, they need help. Hmm. And so I was praying about it one day and I was 
you know, at the time, you know, part of my function was being a sales manager. And the Lord said, let me explain this so you can understand this. Imagine you going to your sales team in July and you say, hey, hey, guys, I need y'all to ask me to do a new sale in August because August was our biggest month of the year. I need you guys to request this. And as, as he said that to me, I said back, Lord, I would never do that. I just do it. That's my job. And then he said this, you would do that if you had given them authority. And I started to realize the Lord of the harvest is saying to these guys, I need y'all to ask me to do this. And I said, you have really put a lot of dependency on us in prayer. Wow. I mean, you, you could do this. He could just, oh, well, let's put, I'm, I, you know, it, it'd be like the scripture says, I look for a man to stand in the gap. Uh, but I couldn't find any that I wouldn't destroy the land. Well, if we rewrote it. It'd be from an understanding that some people have. I looked for a man standing in the gap, so I wouldn't destroy the land. Couldn't find one, so I went ahead and fixed things anyway. Right. <laughs> but he won't do that because he's so intent on the partnership. Yes. Yeah, so true. if people, you know, it's not that it's a bad responsibility. It makes me feel like, oh, man, it's a great responsibility that he doesn't want and will not, based on his wisdom, do this unless somebody somewhere is doing something. Another example is Elijah when he goes to Mount Carmel. He comes back after three years of drought, and he comes back in that whole showdown, but he tells Ahab, hey, the rain's fixing to come on. Well, at that point, you think he would say, God's fixing to bring back the rain, and he'd start running, but he doesn't. He goes to the top of Mount Carmel, and he gets on his knees, and gets down in a prayer position and he prays seven times and comes up. Do you see anything? Do you see anything? What does that show? That shows that even though God has made the pronouncement, he still is requiring someone to pray on earth. Yeah. And you start to see this over and over again. And all of a sudden it's like, thank you, father. You're just not doing things for us. You're wanting to do things with us. It's family. You know, that's why prayer is the family business. So you've written a couple books, Don. I'm really curious as to, you know, you mentioned your first book. You want to talk maybe a little about that, what inspired you to write that? And then a couple of main points that um, I've heard about, and I want you to touch on like one-dimensional prayer, the crown, the keys, I believe, right? And some other yeah. things. So yeah. yeah, let's touch on some of those. I think they're they're pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, the first book, Respond Up, that came out of me seeing how by the grace of God, I had made the right choices at different times in my life. I'd love to say, well, I understood and I had great wisdom. But honestly, I believe it was the prayers of my parents and grandparents that brought grace on my life, mm. which is something I'm very passionate about. I pray down generations every day because I because prayers never cease to exist and they really do impact, you know, those you're praying for. But respond up, there were times in my life that I made decisions that uh, just led me the right direction. I'll tell you one story out of Respond Up. And you were talking about dancing. One of the parts I teach in the book and is about the dance card. Mm. And, you know, if, if you look at these old movies or you understand, I mean, you're a person that understands dance. Back in the days of the early 19th or eight, 19th century, uh, early 20th century, 
you know, people would go to these dances. They were social events and they'd have dance cards. And sometimes you'd have partners assigned mm. up to it. And so my illustration is, is sometimes our dance card doesn't have the best partners assigned. <laughs> but if we continue to continue to dance through it and dance through the dances in life, God will lead us to the right partner and will ultimately lead us. Just trust the process. Yeah. And obviously there are some things I get that don't make sense with that. But I learned that my journey had a lot of different challenges, but it wasn't that God was trying to hurt me. He was trying to help me. He was trying to promote me. So one of the stories I'll tell you, because um, I think it's just a great story. I love telling the story is I had I had worked very, very hard to gain credentials within the denomination that I was a part of so that I would be an ordained minister. And I did that while volunteering to do a lot of stuff at the church and being a state trooper and doing Bible study when I was working off duty. And so years and years and years of preparing uh, to eventually be on staff at this church. And it just so happened that as soon as a person left and I thought I was going to take their place, somebody else would come in. Well, that happened about two or three times, and I was frustrated because I'm doing everything I know to get into this position. So I turned to the Lord, and my famous line, there'll probably be a book I'll write one day, the title will be, What Do You Want Me To Do? It was just simple. What God, what do you want me to do? And this is what he told me, Tudor. And he told me, he said, I want you to lay down your credentials. I want you to surrender your license. And I just want you to go be a good state trooper because that's what my job was. So imagine working for years, following a call, and now God's telling you to pull an Isaac and lay it all (laughs) down and just go be a good trooper. Well, because his presence came and softened my heart, it wasn't just intellect. It was spirit. I knew it was him. So he gave me the strength to die to it. And it wasn't overnight, but I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I made a decision that I was just not going to pursue, you know, vocational ministry, trying to get on staff at a church. Yeah. And uh, I had, I mean, I'd done all the education you could do and that would never be taken away from me, but now go just be a good state trooper. And um, I spent a lot of time talking to the Lord when I was in that patrol car alone. In fact, People would always ask me later when I did get in full-time ministry, they say, what do you miss about being a state trooper? Oh, I bet you missed the fast car. The the, the action. It was the prayer time. And they said, but you're a pastor now. And I said, but you don't understand. I deal with people, problems, disagreements. I get very little time with God. Yeah. Well, pastors have to make that time, obviously. And I wasn't making it. I was, but in this time, I would go out. And I had great prayer time with the Lord, just me and him. But I would ask him, what do you want me to do today? And he'd write tickets and just do a good job. (laughs) Well, how spiritual is that? And I would do that. And I was a good trooper. I became, I was a trooper of the month one year. I, you know, I did a great job. But one day I was going out and I sometimes had that conversation in the morning, sometime in the car. I mean, it wasn't the same way, same uh, time, but I, I just like, Lord, good morning. What's going on today? What do you want me to do today? And then I heard this, you're going to pray with a couple on the side of the road today. 
And I went, whoa. I mean, I've just been doing my job. And, and there'd be little ministry things that would come up and things. But now he's telling me about ministry. And I'm like, okay. So a couple hours later, I ended up behind a an old Mercury that was on the side of the road that uh, I could tell when I pulled up two things that there was an older lady. She had a beehive hairdo and she was out waving, but I could see the car had a flat tire. And so when I got out, she said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for stopping. She said, can you, can you call triple a, and she had a triple a car in her hand. We've got a flat tire. And uh, I said, absolutely. I can. And as soon as I went to call the Lord prompted me for me to change a tire. I didn't want to change a tire tutor. I mean, you know, that's a, if you've ever changed a tire, I mean, oh, I'm in yeah. a form, I'm thinking triple A's two miles away. Don, you changed. It was, was it hot outside? I mean, how was the weather? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> central Florida in the summer. So, Oh yeah, man. So I told her I was going to change the tire. She said, no, no, you've got more important things to do. Triple A's right down the road. So I kind of argued with her. I didn't lie, but I said, yeah, but they could be busy on a call. I'm here. Let me. So she agreed. And I noticed that in the passenger side, there was an older man with a cane and he was sitting in the seat with the door open. And uh, so I get the tire, get the jack, my jack, get their tire out, begin to do this. And she's talking to me while I'm doing it. She said, well, you really didn't have to do this, but thank you so much. I said, no, I said, I'm I'm glad to do it. She's well, thank you for doing this because we're on our way to Shan's hospital because he has a heart serious heart condition and we have to see a specialist today wow. and i knew immediately this was the couple i was supposed to pray with and uh so i finished with the tire uh got done cleaned up my hands and she came to hand me a 20 dollars bill and uh i'm like what's that for she said that's for helping me and i said well ma'am i can't take that she said sure you can y'all don't make much money <laughs> and, and i'm like well that's true but i can't take your money no i won't tell anybody i said ma'am there is one thing I can't take your money, but there's one thing you can do for me. And she said, what's that? And I said, would you let me pray for y'all? And just tears started running down her face. Oh. And I prayed the simplest just prayer. Uh, and when I got done, uh, she hugged me and she said, thank you for praying for me. We were told someone would pray with us along the way and that he would be healed. And wow. they got in their car and drove off. I got in my car and I sat there for, at least a half hour. What just happened? I mean, I'm doing what God told me to do, being a good trooper. And, and I just, and the Lord said to me, I can give you a position at a church or I can give you the whole Florida turnpike. What do you want? And I said, well, Lord, I'll take the turnpike because I'd sense you here. And that was your church. That was my church. And we'd have to do another show to tell you some of the stories, incredible stories that have changed lives and, how God gave me favor and actually gave me without me even asking for it, a title of being the, the pastor of the turnpike. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Stuff. And the, the reason I share that is that book respond up was times, you know, my teaching on that is, Hey, it's not so much about, or we shouldn't react. What we should do is respond, but more than that, we should respond up. Mm. You know, and reaction is what we do out of our fear, out of our anger, but just pause. What's the difference between a reaction and a response? A pause. But now I'm going to fill that pause with talking to God about it. You just you just got bad news from your job. You just had something you went through. 
you want to react, but instead stop, pause, and turn to God and ask him what he has to say about it. And sometimes he'll tell you something that seems the opposite, but if you learn to trust him, you go, he knows what he's talking about. Because that path of the turnpike, I am so glad I didn't get on staff at that particular church. Mm. I learned more about ministry, and then God prepared me for a staff position that was the perfect staff position down the road. Mm. And so I would replace it with anything. So he wasn't trying to hurt me. He's trying to help me. So respond up. I tie my life to the life of Joseph in Genesis, and there's no comparison. He went through a lot. But it's the same premise. God is trying to help you respond, don't react. And so my second, that was my first book. My second book, real simple, is don't just speak it, write it, how every pastor can become a published author. And you don't have to be a pastor to benefit from this, but that's just 20 years of coaching people on how to get the book out of them. And uh, it's just a small book, but has helped a lot of people. And then the last book, the one you just uh, you know referenced is Praying for Rain, and that basically is praying for rain, R-E-I-G-N. Yeah, what does that mean to you? It just simply comes from, you know, the Lord telling his disciples, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Mm. What does kingdom mean? It is the dominion of the king. It means the king's presence is there. And so when we, you know, people think sometimes I'm, I'm alluding to setting up a physical kingdom on earth. No, it's a spiritual yeah. kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my marriage needs the kingdom, the dominion of the king. So I am praying and interceding for that. My job, I'm believing and interceding for the kingdom, the dominion of the king, the presence of the king to invade. Again, I am that participant on earth that aligns and and prays and makes that happen through prayer and action. Um, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, praying for rain is partnering with God in the act of his kingdom coming to earth as in heaven in every kind of area of our life, jobs. There's no area that's off limits. Mm. And so that's what that's about. But I, I wrote that book trying to help people understand. Someone asked me recently, they said, um, you know, we started talking about if God already knows what you need, why do you need to ask for it? And why ask more than, than, than once? And so I said to them, I said, well, what is the overarching purpose of prayer? And this person said, well, I mean, it's to get results. I said, well, that's, that is the outcome that, that we obviously want to see. We want to see answers to prayer, but what's the overarching purpose of prayer? And they said, well, you tell me. The overarching purpose of prayer is to partner with God and his eternal plans that include what he's doing in this earth so that we change and we become more like Christ. So it's not a one and done. It's not just sit there and name everything, bless me, and then it's done. It's an ongoing, continual conversation and partnership with God. And sometimes a prayer could be answered in one day, and sometimes it can take years and years. But the ultimate goal is, is that we're partnering with him. We're spending time with him. We are working on stuff with him. It's like uh, Henry Blackaby would say, where do, what's God's will? Find where God's at work and join him. <laughs> prayer is a huge, huge part of that. Uh, you had mentioned one of my favorite chapters does deal, uh, they're, they're all my favorite, I guess, but uh, the crown, the keys, and the sword. And basically, I wrote that because 
I believe that one of the foundational things that really births effective prayer, um, you know, people will say to me, well, I can pray 15 minutes and I'm done. I said, well, I, I prayed the other day three or four hours, not comparing or not saying, well, I did three or four hours, but I'm trying to prove a point. They're like, how, what did you say? And I said, well, I only talked for a few minutes. God did the rest of it. Mm. And I said, that's the key. I may stop at 15 minutes, but God doesn't necessarily stop. And God has things he wants to share with me and he wants to say to me. And well, how do you hear him? Well, that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother podcast, but learning to discern the voice of God through his word, through his Holy spirit, through the avenues that he speaks, and then being able to know that that is God through a lot of times. Well, maybe that wasn't God, but you start to learn his voice. Well, now prayer morphs into a whole new relationship of not just me coming with a list, but him talking to me and me talking back. It's the mailbox, letter out, letter in. The dynamic thing. Yes. The living thing. It's a breathing thing. It's up and down. It's expanding, contracting. Yes. It's very, very, very much that. But the crown and the keys and the sword were basically three strong points that I believe are key to prayer. Number one is the crown, knowing who we are in Christ. Okay. Again, we're not just blobs that have a destiny in heaven. Okay. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to light. We are joint heirs. And, and when, you know, the understanding of identity of who we are, okay, in Christ changes the way you pray. Um, the keys, you know, basically when God created the earth and Adam and Eve were put in charge and paraphrasing, he gave them keys and they lost those keys. But <laughs> thankfully Jesus came back and took the keys. But what did he do? He handed them to Peter to be handed to the church. Well, what are keys? Keys are to unlock and open and they are to lock and shut. So our prayers, our actions, our life, we have been given keys. And someone says, well, what is a key? Key is anything God puts in your hand or puts in your heart to do. And so my prayer over the family lives next door. I am praying, believing I've been given a key to open the key of heaven, that the light of God would come and invade their life. I also believe God puts a $100 bill in my pocket, and there's a single mother in need that when I am led to give her that $100 and bless her, I'm opening the kingdom of light. Okay, I also believe that when I'm praying against human trafficking and praying against those elements that would you know, try and steal children and all of that, because that's something I feel very called to, I am partnering with God to believe for and to partner with through prayer for the closing of those doors of the enemy, Mm. for the closing of those doors. But then I get involved in very practical ways by, by assisting or helping or whatever way I can. But it, but it's all these actions that God has given us. I understand I've been given keys. And then the last is the sword. And that I love to teach people that understanding that the sword, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, that there is nothing like understanding it and praying it back to God and that God has given us a sword. And so 
you know, just like Jeremiah 29 11 is one of my favorite verses. I have prayed for people that are believing for some breakthrough in their life. And I've stood on that verse and I've declared that voice, that verse and, and, and taught that verse, but that's the sword. So it's the crown of understanding who we are, the keys, the authority that was given to us. I mean, it'd be like this. If I told you, go build the kingdom on earth. And again, not a physical kingdom, but spiritual kingdom, but I gave you no authority to do that. How are you going to do it? We've been given the authority and we've been given the weapon or the tool, which is the sword. And so that's what that chapter is about. That's great. Yeah. It seems like we probably would need another podcast for all these good things. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say to somebody who, you know, any words of encouragement or advice for somebody who's struggling with their prayer life? What would you <clears throat> say to them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, any great prayer leader in history, and I have many that I love, I've read their books, they struggled and they went through struggles and their prayer life didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden they're getting assignments from God. They're, they're standing in the gap. It began as that struggling conversation that I said earlier, where it's like you're putting stuff in the ballot box. Uh, there is there, the goal is relationship that leads to partnership and you need to know that this is a gift from God, that uh, two of the things that really hurt people, that hinder people, rather, in their prayer life is they feel unqualified or feel disqualified. And let me answer both of those. The thing that qualifies me to be an intercessor, to, to pray and hear his voice is simple. It's the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus and my faith in him. The same thing that qualified me. All of that Bible school that I talked about earlier didn't. I mean, yes, it was helpful to me because I'm reading the Bible. But none of that, nor the positions that I've held, has qualified me to be an intercessor. What has qualified me is the relationship that comes through the blood of Christ and then my willingness to be a partner even when I fail. And there have been days, oh, I should have prayed. There's been, oh, I didn't, I tried to pray. And all of that is part of learning. It is part of becoming an heir. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, an heir, everything, we don't turn everything over to an heir immediately. They're, they're underneath tutors. They're underneath, well, the Holy Spirit is that. Mm. And so the first thing I want to say is you don't feel qualified. Uh, well, he's better qualified. He's a pastor. No, it, it, it doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter if you pray in King James English, or you just <laughs> pray from your heart. The most powerful prayer in scripture, one of them was Hannah when she was praying for a child. And the Bible says that there were no words coming out of her mouth. Her lips were moving. So it comes from the heart. The second thing, so you're qualified because of Jesus's blood. You know, if you've ever, you know, ever heard that he, God doesn't seek the qualified, he qualifies those that, that accept him. He will qualify you the same way he qualified me, and it's through the blood. The second thing is disqualification. And a lot of people go through this. Oh, I blew it. I messed up this week. So now God's not hearing me. And obviously, if I'm living in rebellion to God, that, that doorway gets closed, and not from a punishment. It just breaks the communion. But how quickly can I turn and say, Father, your way's better. I repent. I change my mind. And boom the door is open again. It's like the prodigal son. He gets the ring back on the finger, mm. but the enemy will try to say, no, 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 you blew it. Some of the things and some of the things you may be praying for that you feel disqualified 
you may feel like you caused it. You may be praying for a child and felt like, man, I was a bad mother or a bad father. And so the enemy will try to put in your mind, well, who are you to go undo through prayer what you did through your life? That's a lie of the enemy. You have incredible authority in prayer, not because you earned it, not because you worked up to it, but because he did it. And he wants us to walk in that gift. And despite what you may have done in the natural, it's all underneath the blood if you've asked for forgiveness. And and your qualification to pray doesn't come from a perfect record. It comes from trust and faith in Jesus. And so the thing I would say is understand God wants you to enjoy this gift, and he wants to share his secrets with you. He wants to reveal things to you. And you can begin simply by pick prayer targets, you know, pick things that I'm going to pray for my family today. And maybe you walk around the house and you lay your hands on their beds of your children or, you know, uh, all of those little acts of faith will enable you to grow in your prayer. And, And as simply as you pray in the beginning, God will grow it. And the last thing that I'll say to help is this, is that the Bible says we don't know how to pray as we ought in Romans, but it says that he gave us the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. I don't go into any time of prayer without praying and asking the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, and he has every time. There have been times I have been led in a prayer that I have never read anywhere before, but it came out full of his Spirit because the Holy Spirit helped me. So if you don't know how to pray for a family member, I got a job situation I don't know how to pray for, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. He's been given to us a wonderful gift, not only to lead and guide us in life, but also in prayer. Amen. Good stuff, Don. What are you grateful for today? Last question. Man, I'm grateful for my time with you today. Honestly, this, <laughs> right back uh, at you. I, man, I, you know, I, I get on here and I forget why I'm even doing it. And I get lost in the conversation and I get encouragement. I, I, I get encouraged hearing you and hearing what we're talking about. So uh, I'm I'm grateful that in the middle of my day in between important meetings and some other things I had to deal with, that I had this time to talk with you about God, and I'm very encouraged by it. Yeah, there is a powerful uh, prayer element to fellowship. You know, Christ says that where there are two more, two or more gathered, there He is, and I, and I feel the same way every time I've interviewed. Uh, you know, for testimonials or whatever else, I always feel like, gosh, that was like a, a prayer time. That was just prayer time for yeah. me, just yeah. literally just talking yeah. to somebody about the glory of God. It very much is. I don't know if you know this, but the actual word for testimony in the original language, Hebrew language, the Hebrew understanding of it is actually to make real again. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's interesting. And that's why I believe we feel different when we talk in the land of testimony because mm. spiritual element, you know, that is happening. And, you know, you think about the Bible says they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, mm. and they lived their lives to death. Well, if we're making real again, what I just shared when the highway patrol story or your story, there's a power that's being released of faith in our life. And so mm. I even know of a group that goes and prays for people to be healed in hospitals that they actually do nothing but share testimonies and then pray. Wow, that's interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? So I think mm. I think it's true because I, I feel it when I do the same thing. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. We'll have to, we'll have to do another interview. There's some things I'd love I, to. 
<laughs> I'd love to, Tudor. You just let me know. This was yeah. enjoyable. Thank you.